Hold on one second. Uh, can you still hear me? I hear you. All right. Boom. Boom. Okay. So I sit in there. Holy shit, we have like a, a bunch of people in here. One second here. Hit up Clubhouse. Yo, yo, yo. I'll have the um, thing for uh, Matthew St. Germain. Okay. One second here. Let me give the uh, announcement to everybody on Twitter. Uh-huh. What's happening, everybody, on Clubhouse? This is Rico, the meat co-host of State of Cannabis News Hour. This week, uh, while we're waiting for Susan Soares, our founder, to uh, to return, we're actually trying out some stuff on Twitter Spaces, too. So if you want to join the live show, the live show is actually going to be piped in here on Clubhouse uh, from Twitter Spaces. I'm going to put the link um, at the top here, so um, everybody can check that out if you want to live participate. But um, I will have the audio into Clubhouse um, all morning. We just will not have any of the participation here other than the uh, the back hey, channel. We'll be uh, chat. starting the show. Yes, sir. They can hear you on uh, Clubhouse right now, Jason. Um, uh, if you, if you want to give them any messages before I uh... up, all our Clubhouse people, we have moved the show currently to Twitter Spaces. So if you want to participate by raising your hand and chiming in on the stories, you need to come on over to Twitter Spaces. Yeah, we're going to be live piping in the audio from the live show from Twitter Spaces this week. We're, we're testing out all the uh, tools and everything on there before we make a final decision. But, um, you know, as uh, Clubhouse's membership uh, starts to decline and everything, um, see a huge opportunity with Twitter Spaces. Whether we're going to do both Twitter Spaces and Clubhouse going forward, uh, we don't know. We're going uh, we're gonna to vote on that this weekend. Uh, but all of this week, uh, Jason and I will be leading the same conversation with all of our correspondents and everything over on Twitter spaces. So check us out. The link is up now at the top of the screen. If you guys want to join us over in Twitter spaces, or you can stay here over here and uh, just listen to the audio. So we'll be getting started in just five minutes here and cannot wait to get it popping. We can get the music popping or some shit, Jason. Yeah, get the music on. So you got the music. I don't. I don't. I don't have the beatbox. Susan does all this shit behind the scenes. Like she really deserves a uh, medal of honor. That's <laughs> so much stuff. Uh, good morning. Good afternoon, y'all. I uh, just wanted to turn my mic on before I started driving. Good morning, Doctor Felicia. How you doing? I'm pretty good. Uh, how was ATL? Well, it's nice and sunny, so I can't complain. No 
Oh man. Was it was was it Liddy Titty out there? Never mind. Um I had I read the, the one of the most hilarious tweets. Yesterday, um, Dr. Felicia, and I have to share it with you because not too many in the room will uh, understand it, but I know you will. <laughs> Let me bring it up from Michael. Har- from, from it's uh from Michael Harriet. One second here. You say from Michael Harris? Uh, Michael Harriet. Michael Harriet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where is it? Jesus. It was on uh, Freaknet. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I remember that well. All right, here it goes. Freaknik went to college, bought a house in ATL, really, Alpharetta, joined a, a grad chapter and got a master's while raising two kids. Her youngest just got a full ride to Spelman. But she hates when anybody calls her Freaknik. She goes by Essence Fest now. Her FICO score is 773. Yeah, I saw her. I saw her just in the park and it was raining and she said she couldn't do the full show because she was slipping, slipping balls. So I was like, oh, oh man. man. Yeah, I, I, still have, I still haven't been to SS Fest. I gotta go. Yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing when I went. It was several years ago, but it was a really, really good show. I can dig it. Dr. Felicia, do you have a story today? Nope, I don't. I just wanted to un-mic un- un- or get on the stage. I was a little nervous the first couple of times because it's new technology. I'm probably the least technologically... Rico, can you post the link? Do you know how to do that? Uh, I thought I posted it at the top. I don't see it. Oh, there it is. Okay. Come on, nanogram. I'm sorry. My head is not here right now. <laughs> I can dig it. I can dig it. You just, uh, uh, just float... In the float over top of us in the background. I'm floating, <laughs> floating. Just uh, yeah. Anybody wants to participate live, just remember we are on Twitter Spaces, um, and the link is at the top of the page here on Clubhouse. You can go ahead and join us over there, or you can just li- listen in audio only um, over here on Clubhouse. We're about to get this party started. All right, one second. I told you, like, like Susan's really good at this shit. I'm not. <laughs> Practice makes perfect. Uh, is this it?
The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Wrong one. Here we go. You are tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and cannabis curious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. I have no idea why you didn't finish that uh, that clip out, Susan, but it's okay. I still love you. <laughs> you want to start us out, Jason? Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We're a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinion, and a pinch of humor. It's Wednesday, July 6, 2022, and this is episode 316. I'm Rico Lamit founder of Cannavision, decentralized media broadcasting, and co-host of this illustrious show with my man, Jason Beck. Jason, you want to pick it up right here? Or not? Oh, yeah, Rico. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific on Twitter Spaces. Spark it up with us over 31,000 state cannabis news hour members. If you want to be an audience participant, and please support our show by subscribing and leaving us a review. Today, we are talking about a whole host of stories today. We're talking about the fake news media blaming shootings on cannabis. We are talking about, where is your story, Rico? Oh, you have a social equity program in Denver, Colorado. Socialist. Yeah, socialist equity. Exactly right. Um. Gretchen has an amazing story today coming in about the FDA says that it helps Hawaii officials to crack down on a CBD company in Hawaii and many other frosty, frosty methods. Um, then I can do this. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Boom. Let's get this party started. Up first, it's Rico Lamit. <laughs> My story is from uh, Benzinga by Joanna Scopel. A social equity program in Denver boosts cannabis entrepreneur rights uh, among the drug war affected. Oh, here we go. Have you lived in Denver, opportunity zones, or disproportionately impact areas between the years of 1980 and 2010? Have your parents, legal guardians, siblings, spouse, children, or a minor in your guardianship been arrested for a cannabis offense, convicted of a cannabis offense, or been subject to civil asset forfeiture related to cannabis investigations? Was your household income last year less than 50% of the state's median income as measured by um, the number of persons in the household? If you answered yes to any of those questions, you just might be able to score a highly coveted social equity license in Denver, Colorado. Per Benzinga, Denver's Department of Economic Development and Opportunity, DITO, launched a new entrepreneurial assistance program uh, to boost cannabis business ownership among social equity applicants, especially for individuals disproportionately impacted by cannabis prohibition and enforcement. 
local women-owned advocacy form, uh, firm. The Color of Cannabis was selected by Dito as its program partner to provide training and technical assistance uh, for the program and entrepreneurs looking to try their hand in the industry. The technical assistance training includes 10 weeks of curriculum covered uh, covering the history and politics of the cannabis industry, compliance, delivery, hospitality, marketing, and best practices. Jen Morris, Dito Executive Director, said it's important for them to reinvest local cannabis sales tax dollars into the community to level the playing field for wealth uh, building in the industry. The program is being funded by $500,000 of City of Denver retail cannabis special uh, sales tax revenue, a political promise actually being executed upon by Denver uh, Mayor Michael B. Hancock, who was quoted in the article saying, as part of our extensive social equity efforts in partnership with the cannabis industry, we're pleased to now fund free training for social equity applicants. Denver set the record for so, uh, successful cannabis regulation as the first city with legalized sales in America, creating and improving equitable access for all to enter this industry, especially those disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs remains our priority. The program allows social equity applicants uh, to conduct cannabis deliveries for three years until July 1st, 2021, uh, 2024. Ensures them exclusive access to most cannabis licenses for six years until July 1st, 2027. Waives application fees, reduces licensing fees, and provides a ceiling of certain low-level cannabis conviction, conviction records. I think there's an outstanding use of cannabis retail tax revenue and only wish it came sooner than the eight years after then after they began re, uh, legal retail sales back in January 2014. But hey, at that point, social equity in cannabis wasn't yet a thing. And not many people outside of folks already in the game much believed cannabis would be the billion multi-billion dollar industry it is today and the trillion dollar industry it will be tomorrow. So kudos to uh, Mayor, Mike, uh, Mayor Hancock. Uh, for seeing this initiative through and congrats to local entrepreneurs in Denver uh, for the opportunity. Uh, the deadline for registration is July 15th at 5 p.m. and initial training sessions will commence uh, July 23rd after a kickoff event on July 21st from 4 to 7 p.m. This is Rico Lamit, dopest dad on the street for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I'd love to hear from uh, anybody on the team or in the audience with the history, past or present, in Denver Cannabis to hear what their thoughts are on this program. You know, I always have something to say. So shout out to Michael Diaz. He's um, actually in for MM's uh, state director there, and he's in Denver. He's a social equity applicant on the um, delivery side. I just, Rico, honestly, I just think a half a million dollars, when you look at for the program itself, it's just not enough, especially some of the technical support you need, and also just a little bit of funding that you need to be able to take care of some of the things as simple as account on the legal side, on the financial side. Um, have you see it, you know, Colorado's late to the party, but we'd love to see more dollars um, committed to the program. Hey, Roz, um, real quick. I remember uh, I remember covering this story last year for us. Um, wasn't it originally supposed to be like $50 million? Yeah, like it was a, maybe, maybe, <laughs> not, maybe not $50 million. No, for real, I think it was. But if, but if I could see a couple million, especially when you talk about in Colorado, the state of Colorado, I would love to see, imagine it, if, if the city of Denver that's built to a half a million, then, okay, what about the county? Do You put in a half a million. What about the state? You put in another half a million. Because, to be honest with you, the type of revenue that the state of Colorado tax revenue that's been generated in the state over the last, you know, five years, but let's let's just talk about one year, it could definitely support more than a half a million, a half a, you know, half a million dollars for this program. And that is really the crux of, you know, when you're talking about advancement and you're talking about inclusivity, um, is that you also got to put dollars to to match that, 
in order to build it out. And I just think a half a million dollars in the grand scheme of things is nothing. It's just a drop in the bucket. Right. No, it was it was fifty million dollars. Yeah, it was supposed to be fifty million. That was his original. That was his original plan. Fifty million dollars and um, from revenue as well as uh, being matched by local cannabis uh, giants. But I guess the, um, <laughs> like, like like I said, we ask for a dollar and they give us ten cents. That's what social Wait, equity uh, is. Who who proposed the fifty million? Was that the governor? Uh, no, that was the that was Denver's mayor. And, and may I say that Denver's mayor, I think if, if, if he's still the current mayor, is African-American. He yes. has been resistant to cannabis and legalization across the board, and it's slowly coming around. And I know, shout out to Wanda James, she's always been an advocate and talk, and she's based in uh, Denver uh, with a very highly successful uh, dispensary. Um, and I've heard she she had some fire, some fire weed. And so um, outside of just that and creating great products and what have you, She's been talking about the lack of just intentionality, putting resources towards. You can't sit and speak like we wanted to do this and want to do a program right and not put the dollars behind it. And it's just, you know, and the thing about it is that Colorado is also one of those states that so many other different states throughout the country look to for direction and for modeling their policy. And, and you know, you, you do a disservice if you don't do it right and showing right. other folks how, you, how to do it right. Right on. Anybody else want to um, want to chat on this one? Like, good morning. This good morning. This is Dr. Felicia. I just have a question. Um, do we know if Colorado still has an exemption for felons in that state to participate in the cannabis industry? Is that still, is that a law in their books? Anybody from Colorado want to want to pipe in? Yeah, most most legal states, I, I, I can speak for Florida, is that if you are if you cannot pass a level two um, background check, federal background check, you will not be able to participate and um, um, be employed. Um, you know, ownership, anything in the industry. So I don't know if that's what the setup is for Colorado, but that's the, the situation in Florida and in a lot of other states. Hmm. That would be a good place to start. There, just removing that. You know, that, that yes. yeah, and that would be not only for there, but in so many different states, especially when you're like, we want to give people an opportunity. And if they've gone to jail for felony, you know, marijuana possession where they've had, you know, and this was 20 years ago and now they want to enter the industry and you're not able to because of that, you know, uh, um, you know, policy, it, it is, it's a, it's a dichotomy to say the least. Let me get one way that, that people could learn the business, you know, if they could be allowed to participate at various levels, that would be one way for people to learn the business, if they, if they take away that felon um, mm -hmm. problem. I'm wondering, Rico, was this money actually allocated? Was $50 million actually set aside by the city government? No, that was, the, no, that was his proposal. That was his original proposal. I so, see, but it was not yeah. ever actually put into writing. Right, it was, but yeah, it was his original proposal. <laughs> And he, he said, yeah. was it in writing? Was it in a budget? No, not in the budget. Right. No. So, Brenton, you're absolutely 100%. And I'm, yeah. I'm with you. You're like, let's follow the dollars. Right. So, I think it was I think it was aspirational it, versus but, actual execution. 
but here's the thing he he left a, he left an asterisk there <laughs> he left a purpose a purposeful asterisk there he said he uh, went for the the state legislature for a fifty million dollar fund uh, in additional funding spread out over five years. <laughs> Whatever. You know. <laughs> Four, 49 and a half, 49 and a half million. <laughs> yeah, listen, listen, listen. Oh, that's on a wing and a prayer. I right. think, I think it was aspirational for that fifty million, and it could have been politically motivated. It could have been who knows. And so, no, no disrespect to the mayor of, of, of Denver. I don't know what his intentions were, but I will just say that intentions do matter. And then if we can't get 50 million, can we get 10 million spread out over five million? But I just think a half a million dollars, and I don't know if that half a million is yearly or if that's spread out over five years as well. I'm like it's just it's just not enough. But but it's something, and five hundred thousand dollars is getting allocated to help people get licensure right now. So I want to keep it on the positive note there. And um, people are gonna get helped through this. So uh, are you sipping on your positivity this morning? I'm I'm sipping on my positivity. There's no negative. There's no room for negativity today. <laughs> I'm gonna be hopped up on all kinds of fucking drugs and on the astral plane right after the show. Is that because it's hump day? Let's keep it humping. <laughs> up next, he's the industry's longest continuously operating retailer, known. As Kaiser Brose in Detroit is White Gucci in London is the Booth Free Bloke. He's all about smoking the best weed in the world and identification and eradication of Booth worldwide. And of course, last weekend he fit the tiara right on the Queen of the Emerald in the Drag Queen contest over in West Hollywood because he is El Presidente to West Hollywood cannabis tourism. Jason Beck, what you got for us today, my man? Oh, yeah, Rico. Good morning. Hope everyone is having a fantastic week. Happy Wednesday. So full warning. There's major trigger warnings all throughout my story because there was a bunch of prohibitionist rhetoric yesterday on Fox News. And so I have to clap back just a little bit, at least. Just, just, just a little bit. And here we go, because it's reaper madness, because Tucker Carlson and friends blame weed for gun massacres. Fox News hosts have once again uh, been struck with an outbreak of reaper madness, an illness characterized by an urge to blame cannabis use for various unrelated social ills. On Tuesday night, which was last night, Tucker Carlson laid blame for the murder of six people at a 4th of July parade in Highland Park, Illinois, on social media, porn, video games, Women who are too naggy, which maybe possibly could be the one, and young men being high on government-endorsed weed. Now, where are you getting government-endorsed weed, I ask, because I really want to know where I can light up for that at. Carlson was not alone in erroneously attempting to link cannabis use to violent behavior, but it even really took it a step further because fellow Fox host Laura Ingram claimed on Tuesday that there is mounting scientific evidence of a constant of a connection between the increase in violent behavior among young people and regular sustained cannabis use. These are the eyes of some of the mass killers who have reportedly been regular pot users, Ingram said, flashing a collage of the mass shooters. The myth 
and cannabis use leads to violence has long been persistent in American politics. In 1936, exploitation film Reaper Madness infamously played into racial stereotypes to portray cannabis use as a catalyst to violent crime. The myth was revived in 2019 by COVID conspiracy theorist Alex Bernson, who published a book claiming that legalization of marijuana would lead to a significant increase in murders, assaults, and mental illness, despite evidence of the opposite being true. Brenton's uh, central thesis held that marijuana causes psychosis and psychosis causes violence. The obvious implication is that marijuana causes violence. Brenton, who regularly appears on Fox, he also cited cannabis hypernosis, hypermesis syndrome, C, better known as CHS, as evidence that smoking weed can lead to a paradoxal effect that causes the user to become violent. Now, I know some people that do suffer from CHS, but I've never known any of them to be violent. And not to mention, I actually watched the show, and I did not see them uh, link any study at all whatsoever to any of these uh, salacious comments that they propagated. The revival of, of cannabis panic by Fox is not unexpected. Following the murder of 19 students and two teachers by a gunman in Uval, Texas, Ingram implied certain forces were attempting to cover up the link between cannabis use and the murderous violence as part of a pro-marijuana conspiracy which we all know is total fake news. The claims made by Carlton Ingram and Branson, who but invited onto the Ingram angle Tuesday night to invert a link between weed and gun massacres have been widely debunked. Multiple studies have found there is no significant connection between marijuana use and violent crime, and indeed much of the evidence points to the exact opposite. Cannabis users just tend to chill out. Well, I totally agree with this article. This is a total bunch of bullshit. Fox News needs to get their fucking shit together. Because uh, perpetuating the gun violence link to cannabis use is not going to be a winning battle for them or for other conservatives on the Hill. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Man, I'm going to be the first one to say it right here, man. I am very, very, very happy that you covered this story, Jason. And thank you for calling out the bullshit hypocrisy. Uh, from Tucker Carlson and friends over at Fox News, man. I got nothing but I got nothing but love for you today, Jason, and your conservative ass. And Jason, I do, I do too. And you see how passionate you are about that and about the the film that's sometimes from that station and from Republican um, um, lawmakers. That's how we feel about other issues that are very specific to our community because the hypocrisy and the idiotic comments about being able to correlate gun violence to cannabis use is crazy and other different comments they make they're so over the top this is why the passion that you see from the other you know just just regular people about the content that comes out not saying these other mainstream news channels are any better but it's just it's ridiculous that you can come and correlate and create a conversation and communicate this which is only going to lead to just us pushing back the federal legalization and policy that needs to be happening at the federal level I, too, have much respect for you, Jason, for covering the story. Even if everything they said in that uh, article was true, if they didn't have an assault weapon, they couldn't have done the damage that they did. And when the assault weapons were banned, mass murders dropped. They have rose again once we lifted the ban. Uh, I don't know if I believe in that statement because I think everyone should have guns toting them around everywhere because the more guns you have out there, the more people you have to shoot down these violent fucking crazy fucking wackadoodle fucking sociopaths. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> you can't just take it. Gretchen, didn't didn't Chris and uh, Shep both leave? Weren't they the last two journalists over at Fox News? They did, because absolutely. People have standards and couldn't take it anymore. Um, one of my good friends is uh, Carl Cameron. He was campaign Carl with the um, Fox News for 20 fucking years. And he was so tired of the bullshit and being told how to report the news. I can tell you stories about Fox that will blow your mind. On can, we the can we move it back to the story for a moment? Back to really the story. Yes. Really, right. Talk is not caused. No, ma'am. And I think it's really important that we highlight the role and link. I, we haven't. It hasn't come out about this gentleman yet, but SSRIs, like the serotonin reuptake inhibitors, have uh, proven linked to violence and suicide, and tend to be suicide for people that are in their older twenties or beyond, and it tends to be violence broadcast to others from people in their teens to early twenties. And I think that the more we pivot to healthy modalities of dealing with people. Uh, we also deal with the alienation felt by these by these children who who are graduating with no hope of, of owning or even renting a house that they can have by themselves, a job that they can really support themselves. Then you give them these SSRIs that cause them to be depersonalized and detached from their actions. And it's a recipe for disaster. I'm a gun-owning, commie, liberal leftist. It's like, uh, it's like, <laughs> so I'm not going to be anti-gun ever. Um, I believe in and everyone's right to have a gun. I don't think guns are the problem. They are definitely accelerating the problem. So I'm not going to say that they're not a part of it. But uh, I'm going to link a tweet to the NIH's study on SSRIs and violent crime that shows a clear rise in violent crime connected with people in their late teens and early 20s. And it's something that we really need to be debating. Well, one, one million percent. Thank you, for, thank you for that, Matthew. St. Germain coming through with the gospel. Did you have, did you have something? Stone Slade, are you living in a oh, glass house? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was that was Christopher that I just brought up. I, mean, I thought it was Stone. I thought someone else had something you wanted to say. Well, that's a good compliment to me. Thank you very much. But nonetheless, again, you know, Fox News, stop, stop making this connection because there is no connection. And the connection that you need to be doing is to the American public and letting them know that we need to have mental health evaluations uh, with, with guns as opposed to just banning guns. Because banning guns doesn't do anything but give criminals more guns. Agreed. Let's keep smoking the news, Jason Beck. All right, coming up next, he's a political strategist by day and a baker by night. A true female multitasker who can not 
only baked at the store, but also knows how to make the sausage on Capitol Hill. She's the founder of Panopti Strategies and our very own Washington Insider. Taking off the apron, it's none other than Gretchen Gailey. Uh, good afternoon. My headline is coming from Marijuana Moment. Uh, and it, it, the headline is FDA says it helped Hawaii officials crack down on CBD company in unique surveillance operation leading to arrests. Uh, the federal FDA partnered with Hawaii law enforcement in a unique surveillance operation that recently led to the arrest of two people associated with a cannabis business who are suspected of violating state drug laws. FDA's Office of Regulatory Affairs touted the federal-state partnership and resulting enforcement action in a social media post last week. It said that FDA staff in the Hawaii Department of Agriculture surveilled retail shops in Hawaii's Chinatown, including a CBD dispensary. As a result, law enforcement and the State Department of Health embargoed CBD products and arrested two people suspected of promoting harmful and or detrimental drugs, uh, according to the FDA. A federal agency collaborating with state partners on drug enforcement isn't particularly novel on its face, but FDA's involvement did raise some eyebrows. When it comes to CBD, the agency is more commonly known to take enforcement actions like sending warning letters to companies that make misleading medical claims about their products. Uh, this type of operation is unique and is an example of our efforts to expand partnership opportunities with the, with the states in areas of mutual public health and law enforcement priorities. The FDA is committed to partnering with states and have entered into a formal partnership agreement with the state of Hawaii to coordinate efforts in support of our shared public health missions. The spokesperson referenced a March 22 memoranda of understanding that the agency entered into the Hawaii's Health and Agricultural Departments as well as the University of Hawaii. It said an initial goal is to support regulatory oversight of imported commodities for which each partner has statutory responsibilities. The intent is to minimize duplicative efforts and further mutual reliance. What remains unclear is the specific nature of the alleged crime that the FDA and Hawaii officials were investigating that led to the arrest and seizure of products at two locations of Pinky's Empire. The business website stresses that it only sells hemp-derived CBD products containing up to 0.3% THC, which would be legal in the, at the federal and state level. However, the individuals were charged with promoting a harmful drug in the second degree and promoting a detrimental drug in the second degree before being released pending an ongoing investigation, according to a news release from the state health department. Uh, the former charge is a state felony, and the latter is a misdemeanor. Uh, the Department of Public Safety Sheriffs and NED teamed up with the Department of Health to crack down on businesses that engage in alleged illegal activity. We want to make sure businesses fully understand the consequences they face when they knowingly disregard the law. While possession up to three grams of marijuana is decriminalized in Hawaii, punishable by a $130 fine, without the possibility of incarceration, distribution remains criminalized. But the news release doesn't specify whether the cannabis products being sold at the business were tested and found to contain more THC than allowable under federal and state statute. Another possibility would be that the businesses were involved in other controlled substances, but neither the FDA nor Hawaii officials have commented on the details. Um, I, I see this, frankly, as a, a warning sign to folks um, that the FDA is going to start taking more action um, and it start gonna start coming for people. Um, it would be interesting to find out a bit more about the actual charges um, that are being done to this business, but I think people should take heed. I mean, it's time to make sure that um, 
all your products are in line with uh, state regulations and federal. Uh, this scratching for if we ever get some feds, federal regulations. This scratching for state of Tennessee's hour. I just feel like we need to play the cops theme song now. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do when they come for you? <laughs> it interesting that the FDA went this far um, and actually is touting um, that they are out there and trying to do something. I think they are definitely using this as a warning sign to others. The letters are going to stop coming and we're going to start enforcing stuff. I find it interesting that they're willing to do that, uh, especially given that they aren't willing to weigh in on CBD and actually uh, you know, start providing guidance on it for drug companies and folks that do want to distribute more CBD. Um, so... I think the industry should be prepared. Do you think any of this has to do with the the uh, the, the um, government's uh, permit on epidiolex? Yes. Does epidiolex only come from hemp derived? It's only CBD. It's only it only it comes. Well, you know what? I have to look at that again. But I, but the reason, yeah, it's it's all because the the epidiolex came to the market first. They're going to treat every CBD pretty much like that. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, they've been saying that they were going to come after these uh, spaces and places for years and sending letters for the, like, at least the last four or five years that I can recall. And this is the first time that I've seen an international enforcement action taking place in real life. And so I would anticipate them to do much more of this in the coming future. Um, I think it would be interesting to know if they did actually send any warning letters or anything else to this business prior to doing this raid. I mean, that's just a basically an easy uh, public information request, though, right, Gretchen? Yeah, it shouldn't be hard to find out what these guys are doing. Um, we, we can look for more details and get back to our, our listeners. The FDA is so far behind at this point, it's almost scary. And the FDA has made a ruling, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that, that CBD cannot be included in two food-grade products. Am I correct on that, Gretchen? Um, it's out there, yeah. They said it should not be. Um, but they're still working out exactly what CBD means. They're, they are definitely not allowing it at this time because of what's the Food, Drug, Cosmetic, whatever act that was. Um, food, so, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. Yeah. Um, which kind of flies in the face of what is going on in this country with CBD. So there needs to be a lot more clarification on that. And they have not weighed in yet. And they're waiting for Congress to do it for them. Interesting. And the National Institute of Drug Abuse is pounding them day and night to try to get something going, but they're just way behind. It's Everybody is just dominant. trying to get someone else to take the responsibility because they're just too big of pussies. That's what it is. I'm triggered by you saying that. I'm sorry. Oh, my ears. <laughs> I think it's time. I think it's time for the gaslight. Formerly, formerly known as Relight. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour. Your daily dose. Oh, that wasn't it. <laughs> 
Thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Canada's News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Canada's or its members. The statements made in the State of Canada's News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Canada's and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Canada's News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Canada's or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Canada's or any speaker. Let's keep smoking the news. So up next. He's a cannabis wizard doing his damnness to continue the work of the merry pranksters and brotherhood of eternal love. Alongside the Hogwarts PhD and tripping balls, this co-host of What's Good, the Cannabis Flower and Hash Review Show and host of the Radio Free Earth podcast, boasts over 33 years in the game for sales, genetics, and cultivation. Come to the stage next, our newest addition to the team, it's Matthew St. Germain. What you got for us today, my man? Hi, Rico, and hi, everybody else. Humble thanks for having me included still, day three. Uh, what I have is a headline from John Deere about nearly 5% voting to join the Teamsters Union since May 2021. Since May 2021, nearly 500 workers at more than a dozen cannabis facilities have voted to join the Teamsters Union, including workers at dispensaries, grow operations, and distributors. In a press release, the Teamsters said it had launched a national organizing campaign for the industry last year. We knew that organizing a nascent industry like cannabis would be hard, but that doesn't bother us, said Peter Finn. Teamsters National Food Processing Director in a statement. Usually, the things in life that are both the most worthwhile are also the most difficult. Don't I know that? Finn added that as legalization spreads throughout the U.S., restorative justice is needed. For far too long, innocent people were locked up for possession of cannabis. This justice means we ensure that cannabis revenue goes to the people who deserve it the most. We make that happen with a Teamster contract, Finn said in a statement. The union points out that several states, including Hawaii, Maryland, Minnesota, Missouri, New Hampshire, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, and South Dakota can vote to legalize recreational cannabis. I thought Oklahoma already was during midterm elections in November, and the Teamsters plan on expanding organizing targets and building upon the grassroots movement for the past year. A Bloomberg Law report in March found that cannabis workers voted in 26 national labor relations board union representation elections last year and sided with the union in 18 of them, representing a net increase of 14 wins in 2020 and 16 wins over 2019. The wins accounted for nearly two-thirds, 62% of the retail industry's unionization gains from 2019 to 2020. Uh, the only uh, addendum I would add is one of the reasons I've worked so hard in the cannabis space, um, especially through legalization, was it was one of the small bubbles of autonomy where instead of one guy at the top going to the Maldives every three months and making an exit plan to, to skate with $20 million and everyone else getting a name tag and minimum wage and nothing, the cannabis industry pre-legalization was somewhere where the money was shared more equitably. Trimmers were able to make six, $800 or more a day. Um, field hand workers were leaving the fifty to $80,000 a year. And that was something that we all really appreciated. What we're seeing right now as cannabis moves through legalization is those sharp and uh, grading tines and claws of capitalism. Uh, finally entering our industry and doing to it what they've done to Home Depot, the restaurant industry, Walmart, and uh, manufacturing, etc. What are your thoughts on the Teamsters, uh, uh, Jason? Bring Jimmy Hoffa back. They might find it now to make me try. That's what I've been hearing. They may have been digging, but I'll tell you what, I think he's actually buried underneath. The uh, Western Casino, that's the pyramid. The Luxor. The, yeah, the Luxor. The Luxor. That's Luxor. where he's, he's buried underneath the Luxor. Um, so, oh, 
Oklahoma is not an adult use state yet. It is medical only. Yeah, I just wanted to add that comment. You can't even walk into a dispensary in Oklahoma unless you have a medical card. Hold on, hold on, hold on, what? By all these enemies destroying the teachers, it's only going to make the price of cannabis go up for all of these patients in Oklahoma, and they already can't even buy an eight. All they can buy is a ten. I know, I know a lot of stuff got distorted over the last couple, a few decades on the Teamsters and everything like that, but um, they're looking to turn a new leaf, literally and figuratively. Um, Jimmy Hoffa Jr. <laughs> and everybody doing their damn thing on the on the East Coast. It seems like uh, the unions are making a strong comeback and they're doing the right thing. It's not a lot of the corruption that we saw before, but everything goes in cycles, right? It's probably because I'm blaming on Hunter Biden. Hold on. What does Hunter Biden got anything to do with this shit, man? Come on. It's Hunter Biden's America. (laughs) What? Well, you know, Joe is a driving. Oh, my God. You're not going to you're not going to get any uh, slander on um, uh, Joe Joseph Robinette Biden from me today. Not today. Not today. You already already said his middle name. That's enough slander. That's all I needed. I think Robinette's a a, a great middle, middle name. You name your daughter Robinette? No, I'm gonna name my firstborn son Corn Pop, though. Let's keep it moving. <laughs> we got next, Jason. Coming up next to the shade, she's an attorney at law focused on bridging the gap between cannabis, entertainment, and that's right, psychedelics. Coming up to the stage is the founder of the cannabis blog and podcast, Shall We? And our very own. Thank you so much, Jason. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline for today is Medical Cannabis Shipments Stopped at Israeli International Airport for No Permits. According to MJ Biz Daily, Israel stands as one of the largest federally regulated medical cannabis markets in the world. Additionally, Israel has led the way when it comes to cannabis research for decades and is also the world's top importers of medical cannabis flower. Medical cannabis use in Israel increased by 35% from 2020 to 2021. As such, any delays that occur regarding shipments of cannabis into Israel could be quite costly for both importers and exporters. The Israeli, uh, I'm sorry, the Israel. Israeli cannabis magazine reports that Israeli police stopped medical cannabis shipments at the cargo terminal at uh, Ben Gurion Airport. The reason Israeli police made the stop is because, quote, two companies that manage the cargo terminal didn't have the appropriate permits. Yuval Landshaft, who is the head of the Israeli Medical Cannabis Unit, issued a temporary license that will last until August 21st, 2022. MJ Biz Daily states that Israeli Cannabis Magazine also reported that the companies handling marijuana shipments had informed manufacturers and importers that imports and exports won't be allowed until further notice. But that was before Landshaft's intervention. Back in September 2020, MJ Biz Daily reported from the Israel Cannabis a magazine that the Israeli Ministry of Health informed domestic licensed producers that it is strengthening the quality requirements for medical cannabis imports. The email that was addressed to the importer states that Israeli authorities will start reviewing the quality certificates of suppliers intending to export to Israel. Further, it reads, in addition to verifying the foreign producers are licensed by their uh, respective national authorities, the email uh, says quality certificates will be required. It also states that these in, these include EU GMP approval or equivalent for the post-harvesting facility, as well as for the manufacture of finished products. 
Interesting to note in the email that imports from Uruguay will not occur for the time being because uh, they have, it says, quote, we have received a notice from the competent authority in Uruguay that they will not be able to issue export permits for medical cannabis according to our requirements. What are your thoughts on Israel's medical cannabis import restrictions? My name is Shlaine and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I mean, are they just now saying that they're going to start looking at the certificates of authenticity, Shalina, on imports? It didn't say, but um, I'll check. I thought that's something you said is that one of the things they'll be changing is that they're now going to review the paperwork before it's imported, but I could be wrong. Yeah, it says that they are going to review it. Uh, in addition to verifying the foreign producers are licensed by the respective national authorities, the email says quality for certificates will be required. Yeah, so they need certification. So does that mean that they weren't required, required before? So basically you could just import any weed into Israel and it was no problem? I don't think that's the case, but I think they're just, I think it's just they're getting more strict on the requirements on any imports coming in. But it doesn't, I was trying to look for more information and there's not, I, I mean, the magazine was all in, I think, Hebrew, so it was kind of difficult to translate. You just got to pull out your translator app? Yeah, you, there's, you got you to gotta pull out the, the um, shit from a Christmas story, you know, that, that little decoder thing. You should be able to read it next time. Okay, I'm going to do that. From Ovaltine. You mean the little orphan Annie Ovaltine? Yeah, you know what time it is, Jason. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Any more comments on Shalina's story? Well, all right, let's keep smoking the news. He's an amazing storyteller with a reliable delivery, smoother than the DHL delivery guy on a hoverboard. All about truth, justice, empathy, and getting dope weed no news stories to the people. This communications strategist and publisher of the American Cannabis Report's landing has been confirmed. And here to hit us with a little Twitter space hump day heat, Christopher Smith. What you got for us, my man? <laughs> That's amazing, Rico. Thank you. Good morning, Jason. Hello out there, Susan. Uh, I'm going to dive over to the cannabis cousin side of the news today with an exciting hemp story um, out of uh, South Africa, Italy, and the state of Kansas. Uh, Cape Town now officially has the highest building in the world made with hemp. So a 12-story building in Cape Town city center is the world's tallest to be constructed from hempcrete blocks and hemp building materials. The concept for the building started, started small way back in 2016. The building's owner, Duncan Parker, said, I bought 84 Harrington. I guess that's the address. Uh, 84 Harrington in, in 2016, the idea of being that it would become the flagship Hemporium store, a steak restaurant, and, the, and house the Hemp Hotel, a place where people can experience living in a hemp-constructed space. So this Duncan Parker fellow is the founding partner uh, and CEO of Hemporium, which is a local hemp company founded in 1996 again, uh, that produces a range of clothing, accessories, cosmetics, and other products, including a lot of buildings, apparently. Uh, they constructed Africa's first hemp home, which was selected as a World Design Capital 2014 project, and since then has played an instrumental role in the construction of five more hemp buildings. So 
South Africa is kind of interesting because it has a cannabis master plan, which deals largely with the THC side, but also has consideration for industrial hemp. As South African companies move more towards lowering their carbon footprints and saving energy, the construction of a multi-story building like 84 Harrington Street is a defining moment for this environmentally conscious push. And maybe the U.S. should develop a sort of a more national approach to uh, to cannabis and hemp and, hemp and bring us all together. Um, uh, one big buzzword in the sustainable design concept is net zero buildings. So you guys probably know this, net zero buildings produce enough energy on site or to meet or exceed their total energy consumption and eliminate greenhouse gas emissions. That also has to do with the amount of energy that was uh, uh, developed or the amount of carbon that was uh, uh, produced in uh, creating the building itself. Um, a website called Architecture 2030 says the built environment around the world globally uh, generates nearly 50% of the annual global CO2 emissions and building materials and the construction process are, res are responsible for 20% annually. So one fifth of all carbon emissions in the world come from construction materials and process. And using hempcrete strategically in a building can help, br help bring new construction down to net zero, which is just amazing progress. Uh, Kansas State University is doing extensive testing on employing hemp in construction, everything from um, uh, flooring to walls to uh, to roofs, etc. Uh, no wonder cannabis, cannabis is farm country. Of course, they could grow all the hemp fiber they could handle. So that leads me to the next concept that uh, is important here, which is local supply chain. So uh, the development of local hemp supply chain, uh, so go back to sustainable design, a closed loop system is the most environmentally efficient means of production because everything that's used and then at the end of its life, it's recycled and then reused in perpetuity. So it's a closed system and it's, and it's extremely environmentally efficient. A close second, however, is a local loop system or a local value chain where materials are sourced or grown locally, manufactured locally, and used locally. So you eliminate all the transportation costs and all the carbon from that. So using hemp for construction offers a tantalizing potential in this thinking, and Italy is leading the charge. There's a building there called Casa Nel Verde. It's a 24 apartment building, 24 apartments in a building, uh, claimed to be the largest hempcrete housing complex in Europe, uh, demonstrating what can be done at the end of the local value chain. And for Italians, it's very important. Um, It'll create jobs and make businesses increasingly competitive, enhancing various new production chains. It's established in Puglia, which is on the uh, the heel side of the boot, I guess. Everything is done within 100 kilometers uh, of, the, of the projects, which means fast access to industries, whether it's agri-food, textiles, or construction. Uh, it'd be a great source of pride for the region because it was the first step to return to the greatest days of Italian hemp cultivation, Back in the 1950s, Italy was the second largest producer of hemp in the world. So there's obviously a big branding opportunity for them as well, and local pride. So a lot going on in the hemp uh, in the hemp space, especially in hemp construction, in industrial hemp. And uh, I was happy to share the story with you today. Thanks. Thank you, Christopher. That's a great story. <clears throat> and yet again, this is two days in a row now, Jason. We're hearing about breakthroughs in hemp production, hemp usage all around the world, but not here in America. Well, I will say this. I'm glad they finally found a county use for blue-ass bullshit. Ah! So, so, listen, be quiet, Jason. Hemp is wonderful. Shout out to M4MN. We're having a Stolen Land Hemp Farming Symposium um, July 16th in Atlanta. Uh, Morehouse College of, of uh, Morehouse School of Medicine. 
Um, there was actually a grant that was just, um, it just ended like the, the last part of June. It was one, it was one in May and one in June. And it was a climate uh, grant and there was a focus on hemp and um, providing uh, grants and funding for companies and farms and organizations that are looking at hemp as a great carbon sequestration uh, plant to help again to improve the environment and so all, all of this kind of net zero sustainability type of you know building uh, when looking at this from that from that perspective that is the future of hemp and 20 years from now Jason you're going to see multi-millionaires who have built their business on being able to create um, intellectual um, proprietary um, you know uh, uh, products and different manufacturing processes to make our you know to make this um, opportunity of seeing hemp utilized from a, from a green space or reality because right now it just sounds good and sexy but i really believe that in the next 20 to 30 years it's going to be some phenomenal things are done i'm i'm actually totally with you on that on on those points Roz. i'm actually all the way there with you as far as the hemp goes um I, i've told many legislators of all different political persuasions that i believe that the hemp industry if we can get it into textiles <laughs> building materials and whatnot would be the new American industrial revolution where we can bring manufacturing back to America and create more American jobs with American goods being produced here at home. Would you call that program, Jason? Build back America first. Build back better with poof. <laughs> <laughs> But we're already behind, Jason. Yeah, we're we're already behind. America doesn't like lead. America likes to lead with the fucking shit from behind. That's what they would like to do. Hey Jason, hey Jason, <clears throat> Jason, we got we get we got to keep it rolling here because we only got uh, yeah. Sorry, I am. We got to keep it on topic. Uh, one, a hey, one last thing, uh, um, uh, Roz, to your comment on the hay in the middle of the barn back in Chicago. We used to call that a crucial conflict. Jason, who we got next? Coming up next and bringing us home today 
agencies of Florida based entrepreneurial badass leading the charge for the ultimate cannabis lifestyle brand, Black Food and Cannabis. She's also the founder and CEO of Minorities for Medical Marijuana in Florida. Coming next to the stage and bringing us home, it's none other than Rob McCarthy. Hey, good morning, everybody. And I'm so sorry I'm not on Jumbotron. I'm going to get this. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to figure out Twitter space. But I'm so happy to share this uh, with you guys. Guys, it's a different story. I don't always just cover social equity and diversity and inclusion. But this is something because this is a market segment of our industry that I think we're not, we're overlooking and we're not putting enough eyeballs to. So long story short, the global cannabis testing services market to surpass U.S. $4,527 million by 2030, says Coherent Market Insight. Seattle, and this was a July 4th um, um, news um, piece that was out. According to Coherent Market Insights, the global cannabis testing service market is estimated to be valued at $1,658 million in 2022 and is expected to exhibit a CHER of 13.4% during the forecast period of 
look at either CBD or from an exportation per- perspective, I think testing is, again, this article tells you that it's going to continue to grow. Um, I would love to get your feedback from my colleagues in regards to testing. Why is it going um, re- growing so rapidly? And it's so funny how we're seeing so many um, modern-day testing laboratories that are not cannabis-friendly uh, that are now in this industry. I'm Roz McCarthy, signing off for the State of Cannabis News Hour. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Hey, Roz. Um, because there's no standard. When there's no standard, you have a huge opportunity <laughs> to right. just, just go in, hop in wherever you want to hop in and, and follow whatever rules in this place and that place. That's why America's testing standards are so fucked up. Was it here in uh, um, in California? It goes with municipality up. So you have different standards across the board. How are you going to be able to scale as a small player when you have different uh, when you have different players or different standards in different municipalities? Well, not only that, Rico, just to that point also, how are we really going to have interstate trade when we don't have a standardized uh, set of right. testing across all 50 states? Because how are you going to have a vape park that tests clean in Oregon but we right. test clean in California? Real talk. <laughs> I think those people who are getting into the market now are just trying to, well, not well, some of them who really, really want to go the long, the total way is to have the highest standards. Look for stuff that maybe everybody's not looking for because you know it's going to come eventually. So right. set your standards high. Or, right. or on the other side of that, if you say you set your standards low and you set your prices lower, you can make a fuck ton of money right now just knowing that you're not going to be able to scale anyways. I mean, in all reality, the way that you make the most money in testing is just promising the highest THC percentages to all these all these different uh, companies because that's the only thing that's actually selling me right now. Is yeah, allegedly, allegedly. Dr. Felicia's point is so apropos because you have to look at the future of what's going to happen from a legalization standpoint as well at the federal level. And one thing that we're not testing for, there's only a handful of states that test for terpenes. And terpenes are so unique to this plant. I mean, they're not unique, period. But the type of terpenes and the effect they have on us as humans is so unique. And so why wouldn't, why don't we even see more terpene testing from that perspective, state by state? Because, because Roz, we would like the global capitalism uh, uh, complex, capitalist complex, would like to see profits before they push out education, and they're going to sell you the education afterwards. Come on, look also, at, Raj, also, Raj, follow the money. Testing, since it's not mandatory in another number of places, a lot of people don't want to play, don't want to pay for that because it costs so much money to do, and just increases your cost of goods. So you got to create the problem before you fix it, and you got to charge them to get you to fix their problems. The American way. Profits for the win, uh, Capitalism crushes all. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sad but true. Really, I, I just thought it was really funny. You saw some of your, your tried and true EDO labs and some of the Kasha labs and some of those laboratories connected. But you saw some. You had Merck, you had some of the pharmaceutical industry laboratories that were a part of this conversation. And I just think it's really interesting how. They won't take a position on legalization, but they will take a position on being able to capitalize on, um, you know, the growth opportunity. So, um, Roz, Roz yeah. did you say Takashi 6 9 lab? No. Ooh. Gosh, they just Ooh. information to the government anyway. Ooh. <laughs> 
Sounds like exactly sounds exactly. like the alphabet boys to me. I agree. It's about trust, transparency. It's all not the American way. <laughs> that's, that's right. Man. There's no uniform standards. All people do is come to work in their pajamas. Just like America. All right. All right. That was a great show. And if you missed any of it, you can catch uh, uh, any of our shows later on uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We're not going to be uploading them every single day like we have in the past until next week as we try out Twitter spaces and everything. we got to work out all the controls back here. But thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, But please subscribe to us on wherever you get your podcast. Leave a review. Let us know what's real, what's not. Help us get better. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all of the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to my co-host, Jason Beck for coming through. And it was him. I always give props for props to do. Uh, to, it was his idea to check out uh, Twitter spaces and see how we can grow on here as well. And we're all about bringing everything together. And casting a lighter net, Rico. Casting a lighter net. No, much love Great to every, job, much love to everybody. Great show. And remember when life gives you no place else to turn, you can always turn the fuck up. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. (laughs) Free Brittany Griner. Goodbye. Rico.